Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks. And as usual, I have sitting right here next to me, senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Howdy, folks. And uh, today, I think we're going to talk about hacking. Yes, and not as in that irritating cough that your coworker has that's sitting in the cubicle next to you and you want to hit them over the head with a brick. Nor are we talking about traditional computer hacking where you hack into systems or you create program hacks. We're talking about hardware hacking. Yes, and, you know, hacking is not necessarily evil either. You know, it's got sort of a bad reputation. Hacking is basically, you know, taking something apart, seeing how it works, and trying to do something different with it than it was originally intended for. Yeah, it's really just finding new ways to accomplish certain tasks. So it's not necessarily evil at all. And, uh, yeah, we should we should just go ahead and get rid of that negative connotation of hacker. From so here on out, hacker means someone who finds new ways of doing things. Yes, period. exactly. So say I. So say we all. <laughs> oh, that's for us, Battlestar Galactica fans out there. Yeah. So uh, you want to go first? Well, actually, I wanted to. Just oh, you want to talk be- about hacks? before I? Yeah, before we get too far into it, I want to talk a little bit about what you kind of need to know in order to be a hacker. Um, you Don't need hurt to, yourself. Yeah. Well, you need to know how stuff works. I oh, mean, yeah, you can't you, you can't take something apart and improve it without knowing how it works in the first place. That's true. Um, or at least you can't do it and hope to be successful. So there's certain things that a lot of hardware hacks require you to know before you really get into them. A lot of that is just things like basic electricity, um, how circuits work. Uh, if you're doing something with computers, you need to know all about things like bits and bytes. You may need to know about resistors, capacitors, diodes, transistors. Um, uh, a, a, a healthy knowledge of how to solder is very helpful. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, just knowing how to use certain tools like wire cutters and you know, or even something as basic as a screwdriver. And I'm not talking about the drink. Um, and you can have one of those after you're done hacking. Yeah, I was going to say before. before. Yeah, don't drink and hack. So really, hacks are not meant for the average person. They're really meant for people who want to get into the whole um, – uh, you know, I'll, let's figure out how this works. Let's let's see. Uh, I want to do some electrical engineering. I mean, the average person can get into hacking. Yes, they can learn how to do this sort of thing, but you can't just jump right in and expect to be successful and or safe. Yeah, it might might uh, be a good idea to start small and work your way up. Yeah, I've got a small one I can start with. Okay. Okay. So uh, I saw something written by Michael Berman who had the Maxwell Smart Shoe Phone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, his hack was about as simple as it gets. Now, that's not a, that's not, I'm not trying to cast aspersions at Michael. I wouldn't have done this. And he did a great job. It was very funny, and I appreciate it quite a bit. So the Maxwell Smart Phone, if you aren't familiar with Get Smart, the, the television series. Yeah, not or, the movie. Well, not the movie so much, but the television mm. series. Maxwell had a, a special shoe phone that he could use to dial back to headquarters. Yeah, this was in the 1960s before, uh, and, you know, people had cell phones. Right. So, so this was know. actually a novel well, we, kind of idea. Exactly. Like, today calls it's from completely unnecessary, but still funny. So what Michael did was he just, he took it to the simplest level you can imagine. He took a man's dress shoe. He hollowed out part of the heel and he shoved a cell phone into it. Thus, you have a hacked Maxwell Smart shoe phone. And that's really as simple as, as it gets. 
I mean, a hack does not have to be complicated. It can be very, very simple. Now, the complicated ones tend to get a lot more attention. Uh, but anyway, that's my first one. All right, then. Um, I've got a couple, uh, that I picked that I thought were kind of cool. Okay. Uh, different, different things you can do. Um, and I, I chose two of my favorite sites that I know there are lots and lots and lots and lots of hacks on of all kinds. Um, and, um, the first one, I chose from instructables.com. Yeah. Uh, which great is a, site. which is an awesome site. Um, and, uh, basically the one I chose was, uh, someone had, uh, posted a way to use Bluetooth, your Bluetooth cell phone to make all the calls using your home's phone wiring. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Um, and I'm not going to go into great detail on how to do all these different pe- pieces of the, the puzzle, but, um, you know, essentially, what you're going to do, assuming that your your house is already wired for uh, a landline service, but isn't connected to a landline, uh, maybe you just have a cell phone to make calls. Um, you can actually take uh, a cellular gateway, and um, you would plug like you would go to the place where, uh, if you will, like the terminus of all the the home phone wiring is, and connect this cellular gateway, and then you hook it up to the phone. And, uh, once you plug in the jacks, the, uh, phones into the jacks in your, in the different rooms, uh, that goes back to the cellular gateway, which uses Bluetooth to make a connection to your phone. Um, and then it uh, sends the call out to, uh, you know, via the cell phone network. Wow. So it's a very, uh, very elegant, um, situation. Of course, you have to, again, what, back to what you were saying, you have to know a little bit about the wiring. You have to know, uh, something about how the different kinds of cables work. You might be working with, uh, a couple of different kinds of phone cord. Right. Um, but it's pretty neat. Now, he posed an interesting conundrum, however. So what happens if you step out for a while and someone's house sitting for you? Or, uh, you know, and, and needs to make a call. Say, I don't know, the house is on fire. And they don't have a cell phone. Hmm. What are you going to do then? Well, oh, were you going to answer that? No. Okay, well, <laughs> they were saying that a simple a simple way to get around that is you can actually add um, a second phone, like a paid, uh, like um, one of the prepaid minutes phones. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, put an hour's worth of minutes on there and put it as the backup phone and it will automatically channel uh, to the other phone and it will allow you to do that because the cellular gateway can handle making the switch from one phone to the other. You know, you could prioritize the phone one versus two or, or uh, if you have a, a, a plan, for example, if you and your wife were at home and you're on different carriers and one of them gets free weekend minutes, you could say, okay, well on Saturday and Sunday, we want to use this phone to make our calls. And all you'd have to do is pick up the, the, you know, phone jack, a phone at the local handset and it would mm. make the call for you. So it's a, a pretty nifty, uh, pretty nifty hack, I thought. Now, Chris said uh, specifically that it was a pretty elegant solution. Here's an interesting thing. Hacks don't necessarily have to be elegant. Um, some hacks are really not elegant. It's just that they work. That's the most important part of any hack is that it works, not that it's pretty or that it, it uh, is aesthetically pleasing, which uh, brings me to a very specific kind of hack. Um it's a specific, you know, category, I should say. The Rube Goldberg device. Oh, yeah? Yeah, these are the devices where it's incredibly complicated and it just accomplishes a very simple task. So it may be something as simple as pressing the toaster lever down on your toaster and um, and cooking some toast. But it may turn out that you used, you know, 
an erector set and a coffee pot and a host of action figures and a fishing rod and all sorts of things in order to accomplish this. Uh, the idea here is to try and make as complex a machine as you possibly can that's really interesting to look at um, and has a lot of different moving parts that looks like there's no way it should work, and yet it does work. And if you've never seen one, actually YouTube has tons and tons of videos on Rube Goldberg devices. I, I recommend t- checking some of them out because when they work, they're really fascinating. And and you, you chances are you have seen one. I mean, there was a, a big car commercial that uses a Rube Goldberg device to turn a car on at one point. Um, or Pee-wee's Big Adventure. There you go. His breakfast machine was a big Rube Goldberg device. Yep. And it was named for the, uh, you know, someone who was fascinated with these, um, the drawings used to appear in magazines. Yeah. Yeah. He would draw these, these really weird contraptions. And it was that same concept. And it, of course, Rube Goldberg was his name. Right. And the device is, of course, named after him. And it's so funny to call something a Rube Goldberg device. It's as generic a term as you can imagine because it can look like anything. Right. And it can take up an entire house worth of space. I've seen some that went multiple levels and through a yard. And I mean, they're really fascinating things. And I recommend playing Raymond Scott's Powerhouse as yeah, you're yeah. Uh, listening to that. That's the song goes dun 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 dun. dun, dun. You know, I have a classic hack too. All right. Um, I'm thinking of John Draper. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Captain Crunch. For those of you who uh, who may not know, a long time ago there used to be a a whistle, a plastic whistle, in a box of Captain Crunch. Oh. And uh, now I know where you're going. John yes. Draper figured out that uh, the 2600 hertz tone. That uh, the whistle made when you blew through it, if you blew it into a phone, it would let you make long distance calls for free. Yeah. And uh, even when he was uh, in the armed forces stationed overseas, people would call him uh, long distance and he could blow the whistle and it would basically erase the call from the, you know, because they had played the tone during that. And that's that led to a lot of people learning how to hack. Uh, you know, making these what they call blue boxes. Right. Uh, you know, cause people like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak used to make them for their classmates apparently yeah. in college from what I've read. Yeah. The Woz was, uh, has quite the reputation of being the phone freak. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and soon he will probably be voted off of dancing with the stars if he hasn't already. Yeah. By the time this, this plays, <laughs> that may have already place. come to pass. And it hasn't even shown yet. Yeah. Anyway. I hope he comes on a segue. I'm voting for him. Um, anyway, so I've got another one from uh, also from Instructables. Okay. Mentioned. The, the neat thing about Instructables is it's not just that they show you a hack, but they'll show you how to build it yourself. Step by step. And in some cases, it's not that difficult. Now, in other cases, it takes, uh, you know, a, a, a steady hand, especially when it comes to soldering things or taking any sort of uh, potentially expensive piece of electronics apart because you never know if you're going to be able to put it back together again. So um, I don't recommend you just rush out and try them unless you have a real, you know, kind of a, a background with this sort of stuff already. Or uh, are completely willing to ruin something that may or may not be valuable to you. Yeah, you also have to remember that whenever you open up any electronics, chances are you've just voided your warranty. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, anytime you're doing a hack, you know, you, you don't expect you'll be able to return it to the store and say, hey, my, my such and such broke, because they're going to say, yeah, you broke it. Um, but this one was a Game Boy DS that uh, uh, was charged by solar panels. Hmm. So in this hack, the hacker used uh, four 60-millimeter by 60-millimeter solar panels that 
perfectly covered the outside case of the DS uh-huh. and was able to wire those into the um, the battery pack for the uh, for the DS and it could charge the battery. Now the only thing that was uh, missing from that particular version of this was a a chip, a circuit protection uh, chip, so that would pre- prevent overcharging. Because otherwise, if you left the uh, DS out in the sun for too long, it would overcharge the battery, which could be bad with a capital B. Yeah. Um, but uh, and and the hacker acknowledged that said it said that he got the the chip, and now he's redesigning the hack so that it can incorporate the chip. So, uh, yeah, look for that. It's an interesting little way that you can recharge your DS just by leaving it in the sun for a couple of hours. <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, my next hack is a, uh, is a Nintendo related hack. Okay. Uh, this one came from, uh, Make TV. Actually, it's Make Magazine, which is O'Reilly's, um, you know, I think this is sort of classical hacking. Yeah, um, yeah. Because they tell you how to do all kinds of things, but, um, they love taking stuff apart. Um, in fact, uh, they have sort of a motto that essentially, if you haven't taken it apart, you really don't own it. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I this owned one, a lot of stuff when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how much of it works now? I was about to say, I own stuff that wasn't even mine. <laughs> well, um, the one that I thought, well, I, I, the one that I picked, there are tons and tons of cool ones. And, um, the one I picked was actually from the TV show. Uh, they have a podcast, which is not quite as cool as ours, but, um, pretty cool nonetheless. Um, you know, I have to plug us, you know, Bye. um, anyway, they had, uh, someone had made a, a personal flight data recorder, if you will, um, using a Wii nunchuck. Wow. Of, for those of you who are familiar with the Nintendo Wii, that's probably just about everybody on this podcast. Um, you know that the controllers are have motion sensors in them. Uh, there's a little chip inside called an accelerometer, and um, it turns out that you don't even have to take the nunchuck apart. Um, there is a little piece of electronic equipment that you can plug into the end of the of the plug, and uh, it allows you to access the information in the accelerometer. So um, what they did was they, they got a microcontroller board, uh, and this is a piece of electronic gear. Um, essentially, it's a, a circuit board with chips in it, and you know it's the kind of thing that you that you'd probably find in all kinds of different electronics. It takes user input from dials and knobs and translates it into instructions for the different electronic components. Well, if your input is coming from the Wii nunchuck, you have a power source. In this case, some AA batteries. Um, and an LCD screen, all it takes is a little instruction um, from a laptop. You can give it some uh, very basic programming. Um, and they made a little plastic box. They took a, a, uh, a Pelican case, which is a very uh, well-known waterproof. Uh, divers use these to mm-hmm. protect mm-hmm. different things because they're, they lock down and they're waterproof. Um, they cut a hole in it for the LCD screen and put all the, the guts inside except for the nunchuck. And uh, what it would allow them to do once the board was programmed with the information was they basically said, look, tell me what the accelerometer is sensing. And so uh, they got it to tell them exactly what kind of gravitational force was uh, was pulling on them at the moment. So, uh, you know, they, they rigged this up and went on a roller coaster at the Mall of America. <laughs> and uh, it's really great because they're, they're talking about it. And he said they, um the the person who did the podcast says, "Look, you know, I'm pulling two G's. 
Um, and it's absolutely cool because, you know, there's no movie, you know, it's just the wee nunchuck. Wow. Um, yeah. And it doesn't affordable. require very, very, you know, it's, it was probably, uh, you know, $40, $50 worth of plastic and, uh, and circuit boards plus the nunchuck. Right. Um, you know, very, uh, inexpensive and fun little project to do and, uh, not something that you would normally find, but, uh, Really cool to see a, something like the nunchuck used in such an unusual way, I thought. Well, moving from very inexpensive hacks to uh, incredibly expensive ones, <laughs> um, I have uh, – actually, it's another broad category. Okay. Uh, steampunk hacks. Oh, yeah. Now, I wrote how steampunk works, and if you're not familiar, steampunk is kind of a – well, it started off as a sort of a, a, a subgenre of fiction that kind of attaches to fantasy and science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's almost a, a cultural uh, thing, you know, a subculture. It's gone beyond just literature. And the idea is that it's uh, – it's – exists in a world that never was. It's kind of this Victorian age world where steam technology um, continued to develop beyond things like the steam engine so that everything seems to be steam powered and that we the, the people who inhabit this world have access to technology comparable to the, the kind that we have today, but it's all steam powered stuff. So there's lots of brass and and copper used and there's uh, lots of rivets and everything looks really industrial and um, it's got a very unique look. If you're not familiar with what steampunk stuff looks like, you really need to do a search because it's very uh, unique and um, I think it's gorgeous. Have you ever seen uh, the Wild Wild West TV show? Yeah. You know, they would always pull these crazy gadgets out. You know, from behind, like in the in the train cars, and you're going. You know, they didn't have that kind of stuff. That was sort of a, I'm, I'm guessing, probably an inspiration for some of the steampunk type stuff, because it's sort of in that same. Well, they didn't really have that kind of technology. That well, you know, yeah. it's anachronistic like that. It's it's and a, and it also draws a lot line. of a lot of uh, inspiration from the works of Jules Verne and H. G. Wells. Those are kind of the two patron saints of steampunk. So yeah. you think about like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and you look at the Nautilus, the design of the Nautilus. Yeah, totally steampunk. I, Kind of get it, or I, the time machine from H.G. Wells. You mean those weren't? Uh, I don't mean to burst your bubble. Oh man! Just forget I said that. Anyway, so there are lots of people out there who do steampunk hacks, where they take modern stuff, they tear it apart, and they rebuild it so it looks like it, it kind of has this old timey look. Retro futurism is a good way of putting it. Because it looks old and yet futuristic at the same time. And there are tons and tons of artists out there, and a lot of them are really, really talented. Um, but I was just going to talk about Datamancer. Uh, now, this guy is really, really phenomenal. He he will build out a steampunk keyboard for you if you want, and you can tell him what uh, what materials you want and what style you want. These things range from like nine hundred to sixteen hundred dollars. I was going to ask. They're really expensive, mainly because you're talking about workmanship. You're talking about materials because copper's not cheap. Um, what is you know, if you you know go into the streetlights and steal it? Well, that sure, but he does not do that. I would like to think. Um, actually, I'm sure he doesn't do that. Everything has to be on the up and up. But uh, he also gives them all really interesting, fanciful names. That's kind of part of the culture. So, for instance, he has a steampunk computer that is called, and I'm going to butcher this name, but the Nagy Magical Movable Type Pixello Dynamotronic Computational Engine. All right, then. That's his computer. And it looks awesome. Uh, His keyboards are amazing. He's got tons and tons of stuff. If you go to datamancer.net, you can see it. It's uh, 
and and he he agreed to um to let me use some of the images for the uh, article. So he's top aces in my book. <laughs> you know, excellent. How about you? You got anything else? No, you know, I I had my my two big and my Your one classics. Okay, uh, the only other thing I can talk about is that there are hacks out there that are dangerous. Dangerous hacks, not just if you don't know what you're doing, but they're dangerous even if you do know what you're doing so, and you end up with them. So you're not like talking, poking yourself with a hot soldering. I mean, that is dangerous, like, yes, but that's not what I'm talking shocking about. Shocking yourself with a you know monitor that hasn't discharged the electricity from the Also dangerous is not what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm talking about things that are dangerous once you build them and they're working properly, like oh, spud guns. Giant robots? That would be dangerous, but it's not what I'm talking about. Chris, okay. come on, work with me here. <laughs> okay. I'm talking about things like spud guns. Or pneumatic rifles. There are a lot of these out there, and there are hacks out there. And most of the, the people who make the hacks will tell you, hey, this is really dangerous stuff, and it's neat to do, but you got to be really, really careful because, one, if you put too much pressure in these things, they will blow up, and you will be hurt. Two, if you point it at someone and you pull a trigger, that person will be hurt. Um, three, in most, in many places, uh, it may be illegal to construct such a device. So be careful when you are looking around at hacks that you want to tackle. Make sure that, you know, you're not going to be violating any laws. You're not going to get any trouble. And you're, most importantly, you're not going to hurt yourself or someone else. Right. So, uh, that's advice we should all live by. Don't yeah, you think? I think so. You know what that brings us to? Oh no. Yep. Listener mail! I wish I could hack that sound. Yeah, keep wishing. <laughs> so today's listener mail comes from Dale Johnson. And this actually came to us via Stuff You Should Know. That's a sister podcast of ours. And they wanted us to kind of tackle this one because it had the word hack in the title. But I don't think they read the email very carefully because it's a totally <laughs> different kind of hack. This is the hack, hacks, the famous hacks from Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Oh, yeah, these are the... Uh these are not hacks in like the computer hacking sense or, or really the electronics hacking sense. Basically, they're hacking their campus. Right. Um, these are uh, practical jokes that they play, uh, and, and no one ever seems to know exactly who's responsible for them. But yeah. uh, they they, uh, they make some headlines from time to time, oh, especially yeah. the more outrageous ones. There's been some really, some really, really great ones. And I, I've just got a few I'll run down to give you an idea of what kind of hacks we're talking about and the sick twisted minds behind them. Brilliant. Brilliant, sick, twisted minds. No, I have nothing but admiration for these people. Uh, So, for instance, here's one, 1994. Imagine waking up on MIT campus and you're walking toward the... uh, what is known as the Great Dome. Right. This building has a huge dome. Okay. And you look and you notice there's uh, something flashing on top of the dome. And you look more carefully and there is what appears to be a Chevrolet Cavalier cop car, campus cop car sitting on top of the dome. Well then. That night, students had assembled uh, the shell of a Chevrolet Cavalier around a wooden frame and they put working lights on it. There was no siren or anything, but they put working lights on it, ran it, and then they dispersed. And the next morning, people will see this car on top of the Great Dome. It was a pretty cool. And they've done other things to the Great Dome. That's actually a really popular place to, to pull a, a classic hack because it's such a... You know, it's such an iconic part of the MIT campus. Yes. Uh, so, for instance, in 1999, to celebrate the release of the Star Wars Episode One prequel, how little we knew back then, <laughs> um, they turned the Great Dome into R2-D2. <laughs> and one of the important things about these hacks is they, the MIT people don't want to do any permanent damage. Uh, so vandalism is out. Anything that would cause... 
lots of headaches for someone to fix, that's right out the door because it's considered bad form. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, uh, you know, I haven't really talked to anybody personally who's been involved with these, but I think that's part of the challenge is to avoid doing any kind of damage because sure, you could drill holes or, you know, whatever to make things stick or, uh, right. prop them up. But if you can do it without doing any damage, that that's just makes it really that much clever. harder. Yeah. You know, and in this case, they used fabric to make the, uh, R2D2 panels. So they didn't, you know, there was no permit. They didn't paint the dome or anything like that. Right. And uh, there are several others. There's tons and tons more. I'll, I'll just give um, two really quick ones, uh, and then we can conclude. But in 2000, there, these both of these happened in 2008. Uh, the MIT students placed several do not signs around campus. Do not something something. And uh, they were all jokes that were based upon the location the do not sign was left at. So, for example, on the Department of Mathematics bulletin board, it said, do not divide by zero. <laughs> Uh, on the window of the campus grill, it said, do not has cheeseburger. <laughs> but there were other ones like in the hallway, it says, do not do cartwheels. And uh, there's one that was upside down and placed way up on the wall. It says, do not walk on ceiling. Uh, lots of just silly little stuff like that. And they were all over the entire campus. And the other one, which I love because of my love of zombies, 2008, during the campus preview weekend, so this is when students, prospective students are coming to the campus to take a look at it. Some students installed emergency zombie kits in a couple of buildings, and it was a big case with a glass panel that had a chainsaw in it, and it said, in case of zombie attack, break glass. <laughs> That's just awesome. That's excellent. And these are just a small list. There are, there are tons and tons of these hacks. I mean, MIT's famous for them. Yep, and you know, of course, that we are going to get at least one listener email uh, from someone at Caltech. Oh, who is yeah. going to point out that Caltech has its own, and they that may spawn other listener emails because there are some fantastic hacks that have happened all over the country. At right, college yeah, Harvey Mudd has has pulled pranks on Caltech in the past. Oh, yeah. yeah, this There's is this tons. is one of those proud proud traditions of, of various engineering and technology uh, colleges throughout the United States. Um, it's just MIT is particularly famous for them. Sure. Well, that's a great discussion. Yeah. Uh, I guess we can wrap this up. If in, any of you have any suggestions or comments or, or corrections for us, you can write us at techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And remember, we have blogs now. Yay, blogs. Yay, blogs. And you can read those blogs at blogs.howstuffworks.com slash category slash techstuff. And remember, you can read all about this sort of information on howstuffworks.com. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?